0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. As we've done for the last few years here on Team All of It, we are spending our last few shows of 2021 looking back at the best culture of the year. And we're doing it with our good friends over at Vulture. Today, we're kicking things off with Movies. 2021 was the year of the return to the movie theater, if you felt comfortable doing so. A year of compelling performances and new films from big names directors. A big year for musicals like In the Heights and West Side Story. And as our guest list reveals, a great year for international cinema. Joining us now to run through her list of some of the best films of 2021 is Alison Wilmore, a film critic at New York Magazine and Vulture. New York Magazine's critics' picks for the best of the year in culture are in the latest issue of the magazine and online at vulture.com. Allison, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Allison. if you had to describe the year in movies 2021, what are a couple of adjectives you would
1: use? I would definitely call it chaotic. Uh, I would call it overstuffed because there were absolutely more, there were one and a half years worth of movies, you know, (laughs) crowded in for our attention this year. And I would call it exciting, despite all of the kind of seismic changes that are clearly happening uh, with regard to the business and with regard especially to Movies getting released in theaters, you know, something that throughout this year has been a kind of question regarding comfort level, but also regarding what people actually come out to see. Um, So, so, yeah, it has been a tumultuous year in movies, though, also one that's had a lot of rewarding films.
0: Okay, let's dive into your list. Number five on your list is a French film, as we mentioned in the intro, a good year for international cinema, Petite Maman. It's a story of a young girl named Nellie who somehow meets an eight-year-old version of her mother if they become really good friends. Why does this happen?
1: It's this kind of perfectly unexplained bit of magic, which is one of the things that's such a pleasure about this movie. You know, Celine shama who is the director, she did a portrait of a lady on fire the other year, which is a movie that, you know, got a lot of attention for this kind of sumptuous, tragic forbidden love story. And in this case, this film is like, a lot more smaller scale, but I think it really gets at these emotions that are huge and devastating. Um, I think because it kind of gets at this idea of like being a child and wanting to understand your parent as like an individual, as a separate person, and maybe as a child themselves, you know? Um, so so yeah, it's got this like tiny bit of magic in the middle that never really gets explained, but I really at its core is this fantasy of tr- wanting to meet your parent at your
0: own level. I've heard it's kind of a meditation on grief in some ways. Does that sound right to you?
1: It's definitely, it's definitely that, uh, the kind of inciting incident is that uh, the main character's mother has brought her to go clear out her mother's house, her mother has died and so they're kind of at her childhood home clearing out things. So obviously there's a lot of dealing with kind of grief and memory there. But it's also, uh, it's about, I would say, a woman who maybe deals with depression a bit and her mm. her child trying to understand that from a child's perspective. And I think that that's, there's something in that that is just so delicately done and so bittersweet and wonderful.
0: I understand there are real twin sisters who play the girls and they were named the list of best actors by the New York times. What's impressive about their performance?
1: Well, there, I mean, you know, sometimes when you see child actors, um, because like acting is so difficult, I think as a thing to kind of learn as a kid, that, that sometimes you see kids who have like learned a lot of technique already. And sometimes you see kids who are just very instinctive, instinctual in their acting. And I think in this case, it's really the latter. Like they just, play together the way little sisters do. And, and, uh, you know, but they also are channeling this kind of larger story about grief and about parents and children. Uh, But they have this naturalness to how they interact that I think really can't be taught. It is just innate in their relationship. Um, They're really sweet and they're they're just uh, really terrific on screen.
0: That's Petite Mama at number five. At number four, we have West Side Story. So many people were waiting for this film. It's Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story. It's nominated for four Golden Globes, including Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and Best Director. And I love what she wrote. I have no particular attachment to the 1957 musical or the 1961 movie adaptation, so it was a surprise to find myself welling up during the opening shots of Steven Spielberg's remake. What was it about those opening shots? they got you?
1: You know, it's just, there was this grandeur to both like just the way it was shot with a camera moving over the kind of uh, future site of, of Lincoln Center that is also a place where so many homes had just been knocked down, you know, a part of what the city called a slum clearance program. Uh, so I think it was like the beauty of those shots, first of all, but also just the kind of Intelligence uh, of of putting that kind of context around a story that's very familiar to people, I thought that you know I, I really didn't know what to expect for uh, in terms of this West Side Story remake. It's become A battleground already, you know, for people in like wars over whether the musical is dead, whether people actually want to see non-superhero movies in theaters anymore, whether that you can actually update this musical or whether it should have been discarded for you know outdated portrayals of Puerto Rican characters. You know, all of these things I think are kind of attached to it and have been very fraught. But I think like in those opening moments, you just I, I was just overwhelmed by how beautifully made it was and conceived of, you know, it it does change a lot of things in terms of the basic kind of framing of this story, but it also is, is able to find the kind of things that made it such an enduring film and musical for a lot of people for decades. And I think that's just so impressive.
0: What did you think of how the remake handles the role of race in the story? There's a new script. It's written by Tony Kushner, and it tries to make some updated changes from the original that definitely would not pass muster today, or maybe probably shouldn't have back then either. (laughs) Um, What did you think?
1: I thought that it was very smart about showing the kind of conflicts these characters are in as all as being one of people who kind of end up fighting with each other instead of a system that is like forcing them out of their homes and kind of pitting them against each other in this kind of false scarcity for resources. I thought that was like a very a very kind of intelligent way to put this kind of historical context around so that it's not just, uh, you know, uh, gangs fighting, which is, I think, like much more of how people thought about the original. And I think like in one, like, uh, you know, updating a lot of the kind of stereotypes that were attached to the Puerto Rican characters, but also giving them, you know, I, and like one of the, I think like most interesting and kind of great choices, giving them a whole lot of Spanish language dialogue that is not subtitled, you know, uh, mm-hmm. their, their scenes and the the way that they speak at home, uh, you as the audience are expected to keep up, you know, whether you are able to understand what they're saying completely or not, uh, it it does not place, you know, where they are in the film as like outside of the kind of mainstream context of America and requiring translation. And I thought that was like one of the many kind of great choices in in reframing this this story that I I loved. Um, But yeah, I think it also just, it is like a big, big hearted musical, spectacular, you know? And I think uh, it it kind of is able to find a certain magic that maybe people aren't interested anymore judging from like you know, certain box office returns compared to say the new Spider-Man movie, but uh, that really I did find moving, you know, those like grand musical numbers. And like the fact that this movie shoots them in a way that I think a lot of, a lot of other movies have forgotten how to shoot dancing uh, in this. It's just, I think it's so vital and alive. uh, And I love that.
0: West Side Story has always been the story of Tony and Maria, but the real standout in the movie is Anita. Always a great role anyway, but this time around, Ariana DeBose has just been universally getting so much acclaim. Let's listen to a bit of her performance. This is from the song A Boy Like That, I Have a Love, from West Side Story.
1: A boy like that
0: will killed your brother. Forget that boy and find another your own kind, stick to your own kind A boy like that will give you sorrow You'll meet another boy tomorrow One of your own kind, stick to your own kind A boy who kills cannot laugh A boy who kills has no heart And he's the boy who gets your love and gets your heart Very smart, Maria, very smart What is special about this performance of Anita by Ariana DeBose?
1: Well, you know, she, that character already gets, I think, some of the the kind of like best material mm-hmm. in the in West Side Story. You know, for all that we're like, oh, West Side Story is the story of these two young lovers who meet. It is, I think, the surrounding characters who uh, I think often steal the show. And I think that's certainly uh, the case with Ariana DeBose. But I, I think she just brings a kind of painful wisdom, you know, even though she's not that much older than uh, Maria really, she already, she brings this like much more pained and conflicted experience uh, to the song she sings and to the kind of part she embodies uh, that is this really counterpart to this, you know, innocent, idealistic love. Uh, And I think, you know, in that song, she's just undergone this like incredible heartbreak. Her her world has been destroyed and she is, you know, saying these kind of really difficult things to Maria that she understands to be the only, the only way that the world works. Uh, And I think like, you know she th- her performance that character i think has to has to bridge some really difficult things <laughs> uh in terms of of still trying to help and support maria while also having just lost uh, someone very dear to her and i think ariana DeBose like carries that character through just incredibly an incredible range of emotions and i, I think really Both her and Rita Moreno, who is in a new role in this, um, are, are really the kind of heart of the remake.
0: My guest is Alison Wilmore, film critic at New York Magazine and Vulture. We are talking about some of the great movies of 2021. Number three on your list is The Worst Person in the World, a Norwegian film, a romantic comedy slash drama about one millennial woman's quest for romance. What makes our protagonist the worst person in the world? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think it would probably be a label that she'd apply to herself. Uh, <laughs> you know, this this character is, I think, a really great. I, you know, I, I find like the term a quarter life crisis to often be a little eye rolly because you expect a bit of kind of twenty something, uh, you know, twenty something angst uh, that maybe you don't feel like you can relate to once you you pass that period in your life. But I think that what Uh, the main character in this movie, whose name is Julie, uh, goes through is actually not just a crisis regarding what she wants to do with her life, but also a crisis with regard to these kind of two relationships she finds herself in. She kind of goes from one very long-term relationship that uh, seems to be heading toward like marriage and a family, and then kind of like leaves that for another one that seems a lot more straightforward. But a lot of this is also about her trying to figure out if she wants children and if that is like one of, if that's the path forward towards adulthood that she really wants. And I think this movie really takes that question seriously. You know, it really kind of allows her to explore that in ways that are really sophisticated and funny and uh, and occasionally also have a touch of magic to them
0: that's the worst person in the world at number three number two i'm gonna say the title now if you have small children put your hands over their ears (laughs) (laughs) it's called bad luck banging or loony porn the guardian called the film a playful romanian sex tape satire that's a lot of words i wouldn't necessarily put together (laughs)
1: Yeah, this is this is also a film that uh, I would not recommend popping in if you have children in the house who might wander in, as it does start off with the sex tape in question. Uh, the kind of overall, you know, story that that this film tells is one of a teacher who is work who works at a very respectable high school and. Uh, has is dealing with uh, the fact that this homemade uh, tape that she made with her husband has leaked across the internet. And so she is preparing to deal with a parent-teacher conference that night that she knows is going to be humiliating and maybe cost her her job. So that's the general framing story here, but there's a lot more going on. Um, I do think there, there have been a bunch of movies that have been kind of born out of COVID already. But this is, I would say, the best COVID movie in that it just, it really creates a sense of the exasperation and then just, the, I think the ways in which COVID has like made us re-examine a lot of other aspects of our lives uh, and, and mm. uh, of, of the society that we are living in. Um, and I, I would say, there's something about COVID, which is like the backdrop of this movie that just makes it feel like it is like um, heightened all of the tensions that you see through throughout um, as, as its main character kind of goes about her day. Your number one choice is The Lost
0: Daughter, directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal and starring Olivia Colman and Dakota Johnson. It's nominated for two Golden Globes, Best Director for Gyllenhaal and Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama for Olivia Colman. I haven't seen it yet, but the algorithm in the world tells me I should because it's all over every feed of mine. <laughs> this movie comes up constantly and Maggie Gyllenhaal comes up constantly. I'm, I'm really excited for her because it's a directorial debut. I love her as an actress. What is impressive about the work she does as a director?
1: You know, there have been a few really great directorial debuts from actors this year. Uh, in, in addition to this movie, you know, we have Passing, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, which is also a terrific film. Even Mass, which is a uh, actor Franz Kranz's uh, directorial debut, um, really just like inc- really st- startlingly strong work that um, has great performances but also I think some great filmmaking and no none more so than The Lost Daughter. Um, It's adapted from an Elena Ferrante novel and it's a film that is like basically about a woman played by Olivia Colman who is on uh, a Greek island on a holiday by herself but it is about basically her memories of her daughters of raising her daughters as a young mother and as an aspiring academic. It is just about these really difficult feelings of maternal ambivalence um, and these memories that are brought up by uh, Olivia Coleman's encounter with a young mother played by Dakota Johnson who seems to also um, be sometimes Feeling like looking crushed a bit under the weight of taking care of her own child, so it's about these really, really fascinatingly kind of dark emotions sometimes. Um, and we kind of slowly learn the main characters what what is like, kind of like crushing the main character a bit. This kind of guilt and regrets uh, that um, with regard to choices she made when she was younger. Olivia Coleman has she wins all the
0: awards and all the flowers. And and she sort of deserves them. (laughs) She deserves them for the crown. She deserves them for the favorite. uh, She deserves them for the father. The last two were Oscar nominated. I think she actually won for the favorite. What do you make of this performance?
1: Oh, it's just, it's really fantastic because it's so much of it is just like so micro. It's like so close to her. uh, And it's just done in like all of these little tense exchanges um, where you feel like there's so much going on underneath Um, You know, I think it's hard when you have material that's clearly so uh, interior the way this novel was to make that into a movie is really hard. Uh, You know, there's a lot that you can do on the page that is a lot trickier to do on screen. Uh, But in this case, I think a lot of that is carried by both Olivia Colman and then Jesse Buckley, who plays that same character in flashbacks and who is equally I would say equally remarkable. Um, Like between the two of them, they just create this very complicated character who just constantly feels kind of conflicted uh, in terms of what she wants, but also in terms of how she feels she's supposed to behave as, uh, you know, as a mother and then later as kind of a single woman who's out and about. Uh, I I just there's like really just a wealth of incredible performances in this movie. uh, and, And I think the filmmaking really kind of highlights that
0: I cannot wait to watch this. The Lost Daughter premieres on Netflix on December 31st. Alison Wilmore is a film critic at New York Magazine and Vulture. She was sharing her thoughts on some of the best movies of 2021. As always, Alison, we really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your reporting.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: This is all of it.